The series that jumped in my heart was called The Secret Place. And I, it's funny, I don't want to jump too deep in with this opinion, but as I've been pondering it over the last six weeks, where do we want to go? What is it? What is it like? And then I started this week putting all those thoughts together to make sense out of them. It quickly started becoming one of my favorite things I think I'm going to enjoy teaching. I don't know where we're going to go, but I know the plane is going to be in the air and I know the direction we're headed. And so we'll just sit back and enjoy. And I believe every week that God will give me the revelation on the secret place. I'll bring it to you. I would like to say that I always like to teach things that uh, I've learned. So there may be things you see as well. And I, I like to say this too. It doesn't mean that my way is always the right way. It's just the way that I read it and interpret it and put it together. And so there's other opinions people have. That's why I always pray whatever my opinion would be smart enough. And I try to tell you if it's something that's controversial, I'll try to say this is my opinion or not. But um, I'm going to leave you somewhere tonight that may be shocking. And I want to go ahead and let you know that I'm going to leave you somewhere shocking. And then I want to come in next week and try to settle the shock a little bit to explain why I'm going to end tonight's lesson the way I do. And for those of us last semester, we've ended with worship. So Michael's going to come toward the end and he's just going to bathe this place with an environment of worship where we can pray, we can settle into what we've heard and learned. If you'll do me a favor, if you will, I want you to answer this question for me. And write it down on your paper or put it in your phone because I would like to see if by the end of this, which will probably be about 15 weeks, if by the end of it you change the way you think about the secret place. So real quickly, I'll give you a moment. The question says, how do you define the secret place? So, and, and I would love you to do that since we're doing it together, that you would write it somewhere, put it somewhere, if you don't mind. Give you a chance to do that. How do you define the secret place? And when you've written your answer down, if you'll save that somewhere, because I'll probably refer back to it at the end, and we'll kind of test to see how we've grown in that thinking. If you'll do me a favor now, if you'll take your Bible out, and uh, let's see, I think I got it right here somewhere. Uh, yes, I'm going to start there. I should have moved that up. Hold that thought. I'll edit this out. I'm going to do something real quickly. <laughs> I thought I moved it somewhere that I did not, but I'm going to move it right this very second. Sorry about that. How do you define the secret place? And then turn there, if you will. Turn to Psalm 91. This is going to be our launching spot, so we're going to launch out from this Scripture. It's going to be pretty, uh, I think, familiar. If you've read the Scriptures, you've heard it, or you've sang the song. I'm going to read the whole thing. You can listen and follow along. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler 
and from the perilous pestilence. And he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings shall you take refuge, and his truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the hour that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you'll trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Probably one of my favorite verses. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Can you say amen? Amen. I want to come off that very first verse that it says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I want to take this verse, I want to unpack it tonight with the thought that I ask you to define what is the secret place. What does it mean to us? And typical, off the cuff, many people will say, well, the secret place is this thing of the tabernacle where the presence of God was and His presence was there. Specifically, the secret place would be inside the thing called the Holy of Holies. And just in a casual understanding, it would be simple to say that. The secret place was the place where the high priest would go once a year and behind the curtain was this uh, room type called the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelled and His presence would come. And if you went in right, you could come out living. If you went in wrong, you came out dead. It was a very... uh, in the best way I could define it, it would have been a place that where God's anointing and God's mercy and God's testimony would reside, but of course with curtains. And we went through this in the Old Testament and some of our teachings. So the book of Genesis, and we looked around some of the things in the kingdom when we looked at the kingdom class we did. So I'll not belabor that thought. The other is this, that the secret place is, is where you go to meet with God. It's your closet, it's your car, it's, it's wherever you go to quiet yourself, to spend time with God. And, and you know, that's kind of the thinking that it's this, this location where me and God kind of have this understanding of an intimate relational equity going on together. And I'm fine with all of that. I don't think right or wrong either way. But I want to take you to a different understanding that I've worked out of the secret place what it means to your spiritual life, what it means to your faith, and how it can change the way my opinion is that you do warfare. Here's the thought. The secret place is not the tabernacle. This is my opinion. The secret place is neither the holy of holies, and the secret place is not your prayer closet. Right, so the secret place is not the tabernacle. That's the that little tent in the Old Testament where everybody would go and go, hey, God's there in that tent. 
secret place is not the Holy of Holies. Inside that tent was a special room where God was. One of the secret places is not your prayer closet in your home or wherever you pray, your car going to work. But this is what the scripture said that we read that's challenging. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then this 16 verses of this life that comes against us, warfare, diseases, sicknesses, uh, your enemies attack you, everything begins to oppress you on the right and the left, and it ends, it bookends, he that dwelleth in the secret place with long life, I will satisfy you, and I'll show you my salvation. So my belief is, if we go verse 1, he that dwelleth in the secret place with long life, will I satisfy you with my salvation, then there must be something about the secret place that is connected to longevity of life. And that once I tap into that, I could say that my life on earth, when I tap into that, will distinctly look and smell different than just the world in general because if I'm in the place where it says I could be and dwell the secret place, then I can expect a different outcome. He that dwells in the secret place shall abide and then this different outcome. And when you read it, the outcome is totally different than what the world would say because the outcome is a thousand may die on this side, 10,000 on that side, it, it's not going to come near me. Only with my eyes will I see the reward of the wicked. In other words, that it, it intimates that when you understand the secret place, your life bears a different fruit. And so that's challenging because it, 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 it lends itself this thinking that it's not based upon the amount of faith you have, but what, what you understand about the place called the secret. And I, I think it's interesting. Every translation is different. I won't get into those now, but I think it's very interesting that uh, one version, the new King Akeem, calls it the secret place because it's not the natural place for the flesh to want to be. And so because we understand when I live fleshly that the moment I do what Jesus will say, anything of the flesh is, a, is in sin. And the flesh profits how much? Nothing. So I could definitely say Psalm 91 that we just read, that whole text. Psalm 91 would have to say that there's something about this that if I can tap into it, I have a right to expect a different outcome. I want to teach you what that is over the next 15 weeks. So tonight's just the intro. Here is the scripture. He that dwells in the secret place, and this is why I held on to some of my beliefs here, of the Most High. We'll, we'll parse all this out, but it doesn't say he who dwells in, in the secret place that you choose. He who dwells in the secret place of your closet. He who, he who dwells in the secret place. So it, it could not be the tabernacle in the Old Testament, because that thing was always moving. And it's hard to dwell when you have to move all the time. So there has to be something about it that is not a geographical earthly planet because you, you're, you have to move all over. You, you move from Alabama to Georgia. But it's, this, it's, it's not the secret place of you or some spooky place that has an anointing on it. It's the secret place of the Most High. 
So whatever it is, is connected to the character of God. So when I talk about the secret place, I, it's not that there's some special anointing over a building and I better go there. If the secret place is connected to the Most High, and it says it shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, I'll say of the Lord. So obviously the secret place is, is something that has to do with the character of God. And if I can ever grab, this is what I've been pondering over the last six weeks. If I could grab this, what is, what is the secret? This is my thinking. What is the secret about God's character that could cause my life to have such a profound fruit to it? Because the way we think is, what's so special about my faith? And then we argue how much faith you have. You didn't have enough faith. If you had more faith, God would heal you. No, you don't have enough. That's why you're sick. That's why your marriage failed. You didn't have faith. And it becomes these levels of faith. But what I read about faith, if you just have a, a nugget of faith, you can move an entire mountain. So what I've tried to understand in thinking this through is the secret place is something connected to his character. And when I understand that, it shifts the fruit that my life will bear. I want to try to explain that in Scripture. Let's just pull the words out. The word dwell in the Hebrew means this. To dwell, it means to remain, sit, or abide. It means to have one's abode. It means it's, it's home base for you. It means to marry to give dwelling to, and to be inhabited. So what I immediately learn, he who dwells is going to tell me something that has nothing to do with your emotional state of being. He who is happy, it says he who, he who remains. So there's something about the remaining and the abiding that, that says something about this has to settle in you. It has to become settled. And maybe this is why James said a double-minded man is unstable. Because double-minded means you go between opinion A and opinion B, and opinion A works until you get emotional, and then you go, forget that, maybe it's opinion B. And then you get emotional and go, that's probably C. And God says when you halt between two opinions, you just get nothing. And not nothing, it's, he literally says nothing from him. For he who wavers is like a wave of the sea, tossed to and fro. Let not that person think he will receive anything from God. It doesn't say that the devil, if you don't, if you waver, the devil gets the best of you. It says if you waver, the, this is my the way I would translate it, God just has his hands in his pockets. Like you're just not going to get anything from me right now. Make your mind up. Do you trust me or don't you trust me? And I can't do anything till you make your mind up. In other words, Mark, I need you to settle what you believe and I need you to build a house there and I need you to put your feet in the ground and I don't need you to budge from that thing that you trust in me. And when all hell blows your way, son, I need to know that you can remain. And when everything says it's against me, it even says that in a thing. When a thousand fall at this side and 10,000 at that way, how many of you know that that is a little bit discouraging? A thousand just fell and all of a sudden you uproot your finger. Oh God, what if it happens to me? Well, look back there. There's 10,000 over there dying of the same thing. 
Oh my God, 10,000, what about me? No, I'm going to abide. I'm going to remain. I'm going to build a house right here and I'm not going to be moved. Maybe this is what Jesus, I feel like I'm preaching. Maybe this is what Jesus meant when Jesus said, a house built upon the sand cannot stand. Because when the wind blows, everything takes it out. But if you build your house upon the rock, maybe what Jesus was thinking is when you learn to dwell in the secret place, the winds will not take you down. Maybe, I mean, I am saying he did write it, so he's probably thinking about it. So how do you, you know, and we would say, how do you build your house upon the rock? I think this has a lot to do with it. It has a lot to do with understanding his character. So now watch, because this is critical. I have to understand as Mark, how do I remain, abide, and, and sit in an abode, marry, and let the character of God inhabit me? I have to remain in his character. Paul will say, I know who he is, and I know whom I've believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. Now, maybe what he's saying, because he was very well schooled in the law and the Hebrew traditions, maybe he's thinking that this, this dwelling is where we all have to get to. I have to get to a place to where I know and I will not move and I will not budge because I know whom I believe, not what I believe. I know in whom I have put my faith. And I know, and I'm sure he's thinking when he says, whom I believe. And then he goes on in Romans to say, and just let me tell you a little bit about him. Nothing can separate you when you've married yourself to him. Shall tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness, or sword, shall it do? No, because my abode is in him, and I'm married in him, and I'm inhabited by him. And if that be so, then no weapon formed against me will prosper. So see, this doesn't have as much to do with how much faith you have as to how big He is. So to dwell. So I would ask you this, before we even try to figure out what's the secret, are, are you willing to remain and abide and to marry and to be inhabited? Or are you going to be one of these people that every time the wind blows, you're Googling what the problem is? I'm not saying that's wrong. But I mean, somewhere Christians just have to settle, what do we believe here? Well, I believe in healing. Well, why do so many people die? I don't know. But I, but I have to remain in what I know about his character. If the whole world dies of sickness, his character is he's a healer. Bottom line, he's a healer. Well, 42 million people died. It doesn't matter. He is a healer. It's his character. I'm not judging his character off of the extent of what we see of ourselves. I'm judging him off of his own self because if he's faithful to himself, that's all I need to know. I have to buy into that. And that's a hard buy-in to remain and abide and abode and marry and inhabited when we're emotional. Right? So it sounds easy until it's you that's the problem. And then it's difficult to remain. Why? Because when we, we want to remain, I want to get everybody else's opinion. And it's hard to remain when everybody gives you a dad blame opinion. 
Well, I'd do this if I was you. Well, I think I'd try that. I'd do this. I'd juice. I'd pass. I'd do. And all these opinions come. Nothing wrong with them. There's great counsel there. But if you're not careful, you'll get so many opinions, you won't know what to marry yourself to. One minute you'll be eating all meat. Next minute, no sugar. Next minute, fasting intermittently. Next minute, you'll be, you'll be trying to blow a shofar. You won't know what to marry yourself to. So you don't marry yourself to a system. You marry yourself to the person. Because with all of us in the room, if I marry the person, he'll tell me what to do. To some, he will say, go dip in the water. To others, he says, open your eyes. To others, he says, go over there and catch this fish. So when you're married to him, you've got to remain. Now, this, this gets tricky, this, the word secret place. Because in most of your Bibles, it will translate this way. The secret place means a covering, a shelter, a hiding place, secrecy, and protection. I want to dwell on the two words, covering and secrecy, because you find these all through the Bible in very strange ways. As we go through the Old Testament, you find things like the covering of the tabernacle, it had to be specific type cloth. The covering of the priest had to be linen garments and the priestly garments. And you see the coverings of things. And, and you know, when the enemy was coming, the Egyptian death of the firstborn, they had to cover the doorposts with blood. And all through the Bible, you can find that the people of God always had some type of covering that they were responsible for. What they wore, what they put on the doorposts, or the cloud that they followed, or the fire that they followed. There was always some type of covering that, that they would work with. And then this word secrecy of the secret place. It's, it's interesting to me that Paul even alludes to this. He, he says, nobody really knew what the gospel was because it was such a mystery kept hidden. I don't have time to teach on the gospel, but, but if you really think that true, through, God kept things hidden from humans for Centuries. And almost like it's just none of your business right now. I'm working something, and if you'll stick with me, it'll all make sense one day. He even says that he won't do anything in secret that he would not reveal it to the prophet first, the prophets first. I mean, there's all kind of ways. If you want to watch it play out in the Old Testament, just watch it between the battle of Ahab and, and Elijah. He gets frustrated. How does he know all the stuff he knows? How does he know what I'm about to do? You go through and you read some of the things God's downloading to prophets about other kings and they get really frustrated. How do they know that I'm about to go to war? And then they go, well, it's, it's their God's telling them these secrets. Their God's telling them what you're doing. You go to Daniel with the writing on the wall, many, many Tekel Parson, and this thing is written on the wall and it's so secret that Daniel has to come in and reveal the secret. Your days have been numbered. It's a secret. You find it in the work of Jesus when He heals somebody and the first thing He says is, look, my best advice, don't tell a soul. Just shh, shh. If it was us, we'd be like, dude, a miracle. Tell everybody. We would make flyers. We would, do, we would have conferences. We would have, he would have probably had a Facebook page because he's God. He could have started it without Mark Zuckerberg. But you ever wonder why Jesus could do a miracle and say, shh, don't, just, just go. Don't say anything. 
So what I do want you to know is that there must be something, and this is why I labeled it this way, the secret place inside the mind of God. Because where I want to take you tonight and leave you tonight is my belief of what the secret place is, and then I want to play that out over the next 15 weeks of what it means. Here's the word abide. It kind of similarly like dwell, but it means to lodge, to stop over, to pass the night. It means to rest. You ever notice sometimes your greatest battles are when you lay down to rest and your brain decides to wake up? You can't remember a thing until you get ready to go to bed and your brain's like, we're not going to bed right now. You, you, that bump, you feel a bump right there. That, well, that's probably cancer. You're dying. There's a bump. There's a bump. You're wheezing. I bet your heart's going to blow up. Your heart's going to blow up. I mean, your brain just... And what I find to be true is I, I'm, I'm amazed at how many people believe in Jesus, but they never find rest. I, both physically, but, but emotional rest. How many of God's people just are fearful, anxious, depressed, hurt? I mean, just emotional rest. And so we medicate it, we hit the bottle a little bit, we take a gummy pill, got to take the edge off, we have habits, we have addictions, and I'm not here to preach against that, but I'm here to say it seemingly to me when the secret place is, is obviously connected to some emotional status of myself. Not, not just my spirituality but as we go through it, the secret place is going to touch every part of you. Because it touches no, no pestilence. That must be physical. But when it starts talking about abiding, it, it means that here's the thing. and You can often tell what you believe here. I, this is my thought. I think you can really tell what you believe when you cut the lights out and your head hits the pillow and you start asking yourself, can I pass the night in rest? Or, do I, or am I just anxious all the way, just hoping, God, if I could just get to sleep, because that's the only time I have peace is when I'm asleep. So there's something very true about passing the night and being at rest. Maybe it could even be that in times of darkness when life is obscure, maybe we could go there, pass the night. But I know this, a lot of us don't lodge well when things aren't going well because we never find the rest. There's something, I'll pick on my dad for a moment, there's something about him that really impresses me and I often pray that I, my faith will be there as I grow. Because I'll watch things come against our family or my brother or me or my kids or his grandkids or his great-grandkids and... I remember when my brother was hit by a drunk driver and the doctor said he probably would be a vegetable the rest of his life and his life would not be really worth living. And I remember just as stoic as could be, almost so stoic it was irritable. Well, Dad, what do you think? What, what, do, you, what do you think about Gary? What do you think is going to happen? I'm not worried at all. Well, I mean, you have to be worried a little bit. It's your kid. No, you remember? I, I'm, not, I'm not worried one bit. It's going to be, this is exactly his words, it's going to be all right. 
Well, you almost want to throat punch him. Couldn't you just be a little bit anxious? It's because it's almost like you don't even care. There were times when I was pastoring down in Sylvania, I would call him distraught. The, the offerings were low. I was a church planter and offerings would be low and you were kind of living Sunday to Sunday, bills to be paid. And I'd call on Monday, Dad, I, I just don't know. I, I just don't know if we're going to make it this week. And he'd go, son, it's going to be all right. I'd say, oh, yeah, Dad, but you're not the one down here. I just know it's all going to be all right. All you got to do is just trust him and keep on giving just trust him and keep on giving. And I just want to say, well, why don't you just give then? Why don't you give me something and I could settle down? Just, tr just trust the Lord. It's going to be all right. And then I'd call mother. We would be talking. I said, well, what'd dad say? He goes, I'd tell her, and she would kind of feel sorry for me. Oh, I just hate you going through that. Just, I just, I'm going to be praying for you, praying that no weapon, I'm going to be praying in the Holy Ghost for you. She's the nurturing mother. And I'd say, well, what'd dad say? Oh, he said, don't worry, it'll be all right. Ah, wait. <laughs> I hated it. But do you know what? Wednesday rolled around, and I was just preaching my heart out. There were about eight people in there that Wednesday. I was just giving it all I had. We all went home, and I typically would count the money because I didn't have anybody on staff. I would count the money, deposit the money the next day. So the bag came in, the ushers put it in the bag, put it in the offer, and I went over there and shook the bag and thought, yep, I'm going to jail. There's no way. There's no way. I called Dad. I said, Dad, I don't know what I'm going to do. Our best offering, our best offering on Sunday was about $2,300 a week. That was top. I said, we got about $11,000 worth of bills. We have all the, the insurances are coming due on the new buildings and the payments are coming due. We built two new buildings. I don't know what we're going to do. And he said, son, I just know by Monday it'll be all right. Just trust the Lord. And so I was like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. And so I just left the money. I didn't even deposit it. Why would you deposit $10? And I went to work on Thursday. On Friday, the youth were coming up here to go to forward. We're packing the van. We're getting everybody in the van ready to go. And I was getting ready to go with them. And I heard the Lord say, go back and check that money. And I said, well, I don't need to check the money. I'll just put it in on Monday with everything else. He said, I felt in my heart, go back and check that bag. So I went back to the money bag and I shook it and opened it. And there was only, there was a little offering envelope. There was a $2 and, and I just zipped it up and I walked back out. I said, see, you're just going to have to give me a miracle because I have no clue how, how an offering envelope, $2 in a check is going to make any difference. I got to have $11,000 by Monday. I went back out. I'm getting ready to pray. We're getting ready to drive to Atlanta. I heard again, I told you, go in there and check that. Okay, so with an attitude. Not at rest, but with an attitude. Not remaining and abiding, just being obedient. Because I hadn't got to abide, remain, sit still, marry, quit worrying. I still had a gift of panic. Anybody got a gift of panic? I was gifted at it, just a gift of panic. So I walked in with an attitude, opened it up, took out the little offering envelope. It was $5 from Miss Carolyn. I threw it over there, took the $2. I put the $2 there, picked the check up. It was folded in half. I opened the check. I opened it up $10,000. <laughs> I suddenly loved my dad. <laughs> Do you know who it came from? A guy that came one time on that Wednesday, 
showed up and said he was, I called him. I said, Mike, what, what is this? He said, I don't know. I just came to hear you teach. I love your teaching. I was sitting there and God told me to help you. Right? Because I didn't take up an offering like I got to have $11,000 or the brother's going to jail. Well, now that I'm 58, I, I'm learning just to learn how to pass the night and go, it'll all be okay. Well, aren't you worried? Mm, it's all going to be okay. The shadow. This is strange, and this is where I want to go, and this is where I'm going to take you and leave you tonight and then dig it next week. He that dwelleth in the secret place shall abide, shall rest, shall lodge, shall remain, shall pass the night, shall not be removed under the shadow or the shade of the Almighty. Now this is strange. It's, if you just casually read it, it sounds giddy, but if you think it through, it's impossible. If your light, if your character is, I am light, God is light, and in Him there's how much darkness? Well, if there's no darkness, there could never be a shadow. If, there's, if you're total light, there would never be shadows anywhere because if I'm total light, I, there would be no shadows on the TV because light would be everywhere and there would be zero darkness. We, we have shadows now because wherever the light is, it hits a shadow and there it is on the wall. But when you're light and you exist as light and everything around you is light, then when you come in the room, there is light. And it dispelled. That's why the Bible says, in Him there's no darkness. It, so I wrestled. Then how could there be a shadow? What is it? What is the shade of the Almighty? What is, and now this is where I really got into it and started pondering over the last six weeks. What is the shadow of God? Because if I can figure out His shadow... I must be in the secret place, right? Like if I could figure out where his shadow is, I would know that must be the secret place. Because the secret place is you're abiding and dwelling and remaining and resting and passing the night and lodging in the shade of this thing. So that must mean that my, my thinking is that there's something about you and God and then everything else. In other words, he must be in front of you, casting the shadow down on you. So that would mean he would be in front of me, and somehow Mark is positioned behind him. That's my thinking. I'm trying to walk out the shadow thing. Now I want to tell you why this is critical. And what I think, because if you and I look at it on the surface, here's what we think. We think, all right, secret place, prayer closet. Okay, shadow of the Almighty. Oh, that sounds good. The shadow of God. If you really think that, you can't even explain it. Explain how a shadow is a spirit. How does a spirit cast a shadow? How does light cast a shadow? We just we get all combobulated. So rather than trying to figure out the secret place from my vantage point, if he's God and he's always been God, then could I go back before time and see if I could understand this concept of his shadow? And if I could figure out the concept of the shadow before we humans got here, I might be on to something. So that's what I did. This is my thought. The secret place is the covering of the Most High. 
in two ways I'm thinking that. The secret place is the covering of the Most High in the sense of that I'm behind Him and His shadow is covering me. I'm hiding under the shadow. Kind of look out around Him and go, there's my problem, but I'm under the shadow. The other thinking is, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow. I wonder if the secret place, that protection, what did we say, that covering... I wonder if that covering is not something that dwells upon God Himself. So, and here's how I think that. If He made us in His image and we were naked but did not know it, then what was it that covered us? Right? Because the moment they sinned, they were like, oh God, I'm naked. They were uncovered. And then the whole of the scripture becomes, you better cover your nakedness. Don't let a man see your nakedness. Wear linen garments. They can't see you naked. Naked kind of becomes dirty and sinful. But in the beginning, something must have covered Adam. Something must have covered Eve. Whatever it was, they were blind to nakedness. They had no clue. But what we do know is the moment they ate, whatever covered them from seeing, they saw the sin. And if they are made in the image of God, it naturally assumes then there's something that covers God. A cloak that covers the light that He possesses. Maybe a cloak like He would wear. I don't know, but I'm going to tell you what I think it is. Here's where I told you I would leave you with a thought. I believe the way I can know the secret place is I start at the creation of the greatest being of God before me and you. I'm just going to leave you with the thought and then I'll teach it next week. So Michael, if you want to come up. The thing that messes us up with the secret place is we hear the word devil and we immediately go, ooh, the devil. But if you go back before he became, ooh, the devil. He was incredible. He was the height of all created beings that had ever been created. No being ever tops this being except the human. I'll teach you that next week. My thinking is, why would the devil, who was created as the highest being of God before humans, be so ticked when humans were created? And I think I know why. I'll teach it to you next week. This is what it says. Isaiah 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Which is an interesting thought. He's not called son of the night, son of the darkness, son of the morning. There's something interesting about that because if you're you're Lucifer, the cherub, the son of the morning, then, then that tells me there's something about him that is intimating that he has something to do with the cosmos, the light, the sun, the moon, and the stars. and the. He says, how you're cut down to the ground, for you've said in your heart, I'll ascend into heaven and I'll exalt my throne, here we go, above the stars of God, and I'll also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. We're going to unpack this next week, but there's something going on with Lucifer and God that is going to teach us what the secret place is.
Because my belief, it existed, the secret place of the Most High existed before there was Adam and Eve. And I believe the devil wanted the secret place of the Most High. I believe this is the thing he wants. I want the secret place of the Most High. I want to stand in that spot. I want to be in that spot. And so he's going to wrestle, and I'll tell you why I think that is next week. Again, I'm just going to setting up where we're going is that what we're going to do is we're going to look at the creation of Lucifer, the angel before he became the devil. What did God say of him? How did God create him? And how does the creation of Lucifer, and here comes the kicker, how does the creation of Lucifer give us definition to the secret place? He said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, verse 14. I love this. It's a beautiful thought and I'm going to be like the Most High. The moment he says that, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. I think the devil knows when he says, I'm going to be like the Most High, I'm going to own that secret place. I'm going to own that spot. I'm going to own that location of the assembly of God. So what we're going to do next week is we're going to pick up, this This is the best I could find on Google for the devil before he sinned. The Bible for Lucifer, it means the bearer of light. I'll go back. Lucifer, get, get away pitchfork horns, tail, beady little red eyes that walks around and goes, and we all go, oh, the devil, 666. Well, before there was 666, there was the most beautiful creation. The Bible will call him the sum of God's wisdom, the, the sum of all of God's beauty. Could you imagine being defined as the sum of all of God's beauty? So before there's Adam and Eve and there's the psalmist writing about the secret place, I believe there's the secret place of the Most High and there's a created being of the Most High that says, I want to take the place of the Most High, but watch this, because the person, here, here's interesting, the person that says, I desire to take the spot of God, his title means the one that bears the light. He that dwelleth in the secret place shall abide under the shade of the Almighty, because I believe on the other side of the Almighty is the light bearer, trying to deceive with light. And standing in between me and the light bearer is the light of God. And the reason there's the shade is because when the devil's deceptive light hits the true light, the only thing behind is the shade of his glory. And I want to teach you how to live in the shade of God's glory. So this is my thought. The creation of Lucifer as the light bearer gives us the root to understanding the secret place of the Most High. So I want to, next week, we're going to pull him apart, Lucifer. We're going to look at his clothing. We're going to look at his design. We're going to look at what he's to do. And we're going to ask the question, why does God who is light create a being that is called the light bearer? And what does this have to do with the secret place of the Most High? That's where we're going to go next week. Stand up with me, if you will. Hope that helped you a little bit. Get